So we find ourselves really now at the precipice of the experience of Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is one of those holidays that doesn't just drop in the Jewish calendar. There's an anticipatory energy that begins to permeate the community, not just in our homes, but in the stores and in all of the various activities that we engage in order to bring ourselves to the moment of lighting that first candle of Neros Hanukkah. We know we walk into all of the Jewish stores. It used to be that you would just buy candles or oil for Hanukkah. But now all of the innovative engineering apparatuses that allow you to figure out the oil without, God forbid, pouring it into a jug and putting in a wick, that you could break it, that you could bite it, that you could just stare at it and poof, it lights up. All the different exciting elements of Hanukkah. Hanukkah starts to really fill the space of the Jewish people. I often share the uh, experience that I had with Rabbi Schwartzberg from uh, Highland Park, who also works with us at YU, that we were in Eretz Yisrael together. In Eretz Yisrael, so you know, Hanukkah is not only something that begins to live in the home and in the, in the stores, but in the shuls, but it starts to spill over into society at large, into all of the different streets. And if you've ever walked the roads of Eretz Yisrael during the weeks preceding Hanukkah, they're just there's, everything is everywhere. There are donuts everywhere. There's lockers everywhere. There are donuts are like seven inches high, each one filled, and you just walk the street, you just inhale, and the oil enters your pores. It's like the way Jewish people celebrate survival of anti-Semitism is just to kill ourselves with oil. So they, there's a total sense of connection. But sometimes it also overlaps with other holiday seasons here in America. This year, they're somewhat uh, distant from each other. But in end, and that's, uh, that creates a little bit of a different sense of connection. But I remember we were walking in Israel and we were passing a store that sold toys and there was a big basket of toys. And I reached my hand in because I was trying to buy some gifts for my kids. Whenever I go to Israel, I try to come back with gifts. And the previous year I had had a very challenging experience because of course, I don't remember to do this till the airports, right? So then we took our kids to Israel. And when we were with our kids in the airport, we were there a little early. And we uh, walked into the gift shop and the kids look around and they're looking at all the things and they're like, we have all this stuff. We have every single one of these things, even the, the, the camel with the little, you know, like, we're like, what, where? So they figured it out. So now I try to get the gifts earlier on in some of the more creative stores. So I'm, I'm sifting through the basket. It's got lots of different Jewish figures and I pull out one and I promise you, I have a picture of this. It's uh, literally, it's a Santa Claus sitting in this basket in Maya Sharm. You've been to Maya Sharm. You walk the streets of Maya Sharm and it reminds you of Tinek. So I pull out the, uh, the little Santa Claus and I said to the guy who owns the store in my 12 years of yeshiva high school education Hebrew, I say to him, eh, Mazer, right? Which is Hebrew for rip me off, right? So the guy says to me, Ze Chanukah Rav. I said to him, so, you know, all the different types of imagery become, you know, kind of conflated with each other. But Hanukkah, it has a certain permeating feel. It's anchored in the home. It's an elating and connecting type of experience. 
And that's what I want to reflect on a little bit, how the message, the central message of Hanukkah, as we experience it, as we express it in the context of ritual, in the context of tefillah, in the context of experience, really speaks to some of our most central contemporary challenges that we encounter. So the story of Hanukkah really begins with the menorah. The menorah is one of the most iconic symbols of Jewish life. If you were to travel throughout the world, one of the symbols that people would recognize as uniquely having its origin with the Jewish people would certainly be the symbol of the menorah. I had an experience related to this as well. When I was the director of a camp in Big Bear, California. So it was a camp run by the YMCA. YMCA stands for the Young Men's Chavrusa Association. You walk up to the camp and there is a giant cross at the front of the camp. So I said to the guy who was running the camp, whose name was Reverend Mike, I said, Reb Michal, you have to understand that we're going to have a visiting day. We're going to have Orthodox people come from all over Los Angeles. They're going to come up to visiting day. It's going to be welcome to camp. There's going to be a giant cross right at the It's not going to work. I said, we respect it. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's symmetrical. It's eight amos high, four amos across. It's perfectly angular. Everything about it is beautiful. It's wonderful. But you have to understand that this is not going to work. This is not going to resonate for our people. So he says to me, don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. And he goes off with his assistant, John. And they come back and they're walking towards the thing. And he's carrying a hammer and he's carrying wood and he's carrying nails. I said to him, you know, you don't have to get all medieval on me. Like, I'm like, everything's wonderful. Everything's fine. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. You know, let's put it the welcoming sign. It'll be just fine. Everything, I don't want this to, you know, end poorly. So uh, he says to me, no, no, no. We figured out how to handle it. He says, so you see the, the cross? I said, yeah. He goes, we're going to put up a board here, 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 and here. Menorah. And that's what they did. They made a menorah. And when you came to camp, it said, welcome to camp with a giant menorah in the middle of August with a very accentuated shamus and bass. So, so this is the world that we experience. You know, the, 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 I, the image of the menorah is one that is just, it's ubiquitous throughout Jewish life. It, it, it projects a certain sense of Jewish pride, of identity, the transcendence of the Jewish story throughout Jewish history. And that story begins, the uniqueness of the menorah actually begins in Sefer Bamidbar, in Parshas Baaloscha. The Torah tells us that one of the central rituals to the avoda of the Beis Amigdash is Harlokas Amenor, that each and every day they would ignite these flames that would radiate light and illuminate the concentrated spiritual energy of the Mikdash in a symbolic gesture that it is intended to not be just contained in the parameters of the designated space for spiritual engagement with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but rather should illuminate the world at large. And we lit the menorah every single day. And the Torah tells us in Parshas Baaloscha that subsequent to the dedication of the Mishka, the Chanukah Samishka, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells each and every one of the Nesim at the end of Parshas Naso, that Hashem says each one of the Nesim contributes a particular configuration of Karbonus. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to Aaron HaKohen and he says to him, what's going to be your job? You're going to light the menorah. So Rashi asks, in source number two, why is it that this mitzvah of lighting the menorah 
distinguishes itself in being juxtaposed to the mitzvah of the Chanukah Samishkan through the Nesim. What is it that's unique, that's thematically connecting between these two ideas that we would find them right next to each other in the Torah? And says Rashi, Lefi kishiro'a aharon, Chanukah Sanesim. When Aharon saw the dedication of the Mishkan, with the participation of the Nesim, the leaders of the various tribes, Chosha Azdato. He became despondent. He became depressed. Why? Because he was not given a role. God did not provide the Shevet of Aaron, this class of Kohanim, with a role in the Chanukah of, of the Mishkan in offering these Karbonos. Lo who, not himself, lo shifto. And he was very upset. You can imagine, I know your shul has been through a, a dedication, a rededication. My shul, we built a, a new building a number of years ago. You imagine you bring in everybody together. And the head of the fundraising committee gets up and he expresses gratitude and lets everyone know we're in debt for the next 25 years, right? And the head of the, of the education committee gets up and the president of the shul gets up and everybody wishes everybody a shikayach. And then we close the program and everyone goes home. Who's missing? The rabbi. The rabbi. No speech from the rabbi. How are you going to consecrate a shul without speech from the rabbi? What, what else is the shul for? How in the world are you going to, that's how Aaron felt. Aaron felt everyone had a role. Every leader had a contribution. Every leader was able to express their unique personal sense of connection on behalf of their tribe in infusing the Mishkan as a space of coalescing unity of the Jewish people. And Aaron, who is entrusted with running this Mishkan, with essentially performing all of this avoda, he's omitted from this entire experience. How could such a thing be so? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, Omer lo HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Chayecha by your life, Shelcha gidola mishelahem, that your role is actually greater than theirs. Why? She'ata madlik umetiv esaneros. Because you are going to be entrusted with lighting and maintaining the menorah samishka. This is going to be uniquely for you, Aaron. So you are looking at all of the Nisim, each and every one of them have a role to play in the Chanukah Hamishkan, but you, Aaron, are going to be entrusted each and every day with the mitzvah of Bahaloscha Esaneros, of lighting the menorah. This is Rashi's interpretation. And the Ramban asks on Rashi, that if we accept the presumption of Rashi's question, that Aaron felt this despondency, this alienation from not being included in the foundation of the initial experience of dedicating the Mishkan, then why would the menorah be the service that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would point to that speaks to the uniqueness of Aaron? There are so many other things that happen in the Mikdash that transcend the menorah in terms of their sanctity, in terms of their uniqueness, in terms of Aaron's role in their 
experience, and the Ramban delineates. There's the Karban, the Ketores, which is described as one of the central avodos. There's, of course, Yom HaKippurim. No one can walk into the Kodesh Akdashim except for Aaron HaKohen. And the status of Aaron HaKohen as the Kohen Gadol is core to that experience, to effectuating the Kapara, the atonement for the entire Jewish people. Our very success, our very survival runs through the experience and contribution of Aaron. So how is it possible that the menorah becomes this defining experience that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Aaron, So the Ramban accepts the question, but he rejects the answer. And he says that it's not when the Torah alludes to the menorah, it is alluding to the menorah. But it's not alluding to the menorah as a central avoda in the Beis Amikdash. Rather, it is alluding to another historical moment of menorah. And that moment is Hanukkah itself. That Aaron, you know why? Because your descendants are going to walk into the Beis Amikdash and they are going to restore the sanctity of the Mikdash the entire Jewish people, and that experience will echo throughout Jewish history and manifest itself in the homes of every single Jew for the rest of the narrative of the Jewish people. And so therefore, says the Ramban, that was what was so unique. <coughs> and what's fascinating is that the Ramban is alluding to a notion that we actually find discussed more explicitly later on, which is that the initial dedication of the Mishkan actually does not have a holiday associated with it. What does have a holiday associated with it? Hanukkah, which wasn't the dedication of the Mishkan, it was the rededication of the Mishkan. The ability to conjure spiritual energy in the face of something new and something exciting, something that, 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 that has, is unprecedented. So that is an accomplishment certainly of, of significance. But the ability to walk into an environment that has been compromised in its vitality, that's been stripped of its inspirational essence, that has itself been been uh, completely overhauled, the ability to walk into an environment like that and rededicate it and rediscover that spark and that fire and that energy and that dedication and that commitment, that in and of itself actually transcends the significance of the initial dedication itself. And so therefore, it is Ba'alos Chosaneros. Shalcha Gedola Mishelahem. But Shalcha Mi Mishelahem because you are part of the menorah of Jewish history. So here we come to question number one. We're going to ask three questions. Question number one actually begins with the Rambam in Hilchas Beis HaMikdosh, Beis HaBechiro. And that is Beis HaMikdosh. It's two different Rambams. The Rambam writes, we know that when there was a Beis Amigdash that stood, so when one would walk into the Beis Amigdash, in order to walk into certain areas, one is required to be of the status of a coin. You have to be a coin. You can't just walk into the Beis Amigdash wherever you want, and you can't just do whatever you want. Certain efforts in the Beis Amigdash require priesthood, require kahuna, right? Today, Baruch Hashem, we have... Uh, a Kosel, we have a Harabayis, we have a, we have a state of Israel, we have the ability to, right? And anybody has ever taken a cab to the old city, right? Has always been told by the driver, right? You know, 
I was one of the Tzanchanim that liberated the Kotel, right? And you're like, you're 27, right? How is this exactly possible? And he's like, no, no, no. You know, you know the picture of the three paratroopers? Like, oh, you're one of those guys? I was to the left. I was out of the picture, but I was right there. That's my hand on the third paratrooper, right? So, right? Rav Goren blew the shofar in my ear. Let me show you the scar, right? So, you know, there's a sense of connection to Yushalayim, Harabayis, because we know that even though we have dominion over the Harabayis today, nevertheless, Certain areas are inaccessible because of our status, separate discussion. So in order to engage in certain aspects of the Mikdash, you must be a Kohen, you must be Tahor. Here's what's interesting. Not all services of the Beis Amikdash require a Kohen. Some do and some don't. Well, what about the menorah? Says the Rambam in source number four on the second Rambam. Listen to this. The lining of the menorah in the Beis Amikdash. Sherim Bizarim is kosher with a zar. That means you do not require a Kohen to light the menorah in the Beis Amigdosh. So then the Rambam implicitly asks, well, there's, there's a logistical problem. The menorah is where? Bechatzros Kachacha. That's what we're going to say. A zar, someone who's not a Kohen, can't walk in to Bechatzros Kachacha. So how's anyone else practically going to light the menorah? Says the Rambam, it's very simple. If the Kohen prepares the candles of the menorah, and then he carries the menorah outside of the Mikdash. Can you imagine? Carries it outside the Mikdash. A regular Yisrael can light it, and then he could bring it back in. So we have the menorah lighting. We want to give it to some uh, big gvir, right? Who's made a major donation to the Beis HaMikdash. Everyone's very excited. We want to let him light the menorah. He's a Yisrael. We take the menorah outside the Mikdash. He gets to light it, and then we bring it back in. The question is, what is the implication from the Rambam? That the lighting of the menorah is not exclusively in the domain of the Kohan. Anybody can light the menorah. As long as you satisfy this logistical challenge, as long as you circumvent the barrier of where the menorah is positioned, anybody can light the menorah. If anybody can light the menorah, then what does Rashi mean? You are privy to some sort of outstanding privilege of exclusivity that only you get to do. Everyone else may have been involved in the Chanukah Sabayas, but only you, Aaron, get to light the menorah. So what do you mean it's exclusive? It's not exclusive. It's exclusive in the normative positioning of the menorah. But once you're able to access this suggestion of the Rambam, you could bring the menorah out and you don't need the menorah. So that's question number one. What do you mean, that yours is greater than theirs? It's not greater than theirs. Anyone can do this. Question number two. The Gemara has a debate in source number five. And the debate cuts to the core of what the nature of the obligation of lighting the menorah truly is. We all know, I'm sure, in many of our homes, it's a, it's a big drama setting up exactly where to light the menorah, right? You always have one person in the family who's like Fireman Joe. You know what I'm saying? Like they're totally consumed. Like there's got to be aluminum foil everywhere, under the candles, near the candles, surrounding the candles, like on the blinds, everybody. And then you have all the menorahs that come out. 
and some of them are like, you know, barely holding on for dear life. They were made in like fourth grade with clay. And some of them are beautiful silver menorahs. Everybody in life sets up their own special menorah. In our family, we have a minute to fight over the colors of the candles. Is it a sequence? Is it a pattern? Is it, I need a pink one. He needs a red one, right? Very, very, very sacred ritual. So what happens? So you, you set up the menorah. So says the Gemara, the Gemara has a suffix. The Gemara doesn't know. Is Hadlaka Osa Mitzvah? Or is Hanukkah also mitzvah? What does that mean? Is the mitzvah to light the candles a mitzvah of ignition? Like you have to be the one to ignite the flame, to ignite the fire. And that's the moment you fulfill the mitzvah of Meros Hanukkah. Or, or it's not the lighting itself. It's not the lighting itself. You step back, Haneros Alalu Kodeshen. It's the existence of the lights. It's a facilitatory obligation. You light because that's the only way to bring the flame into existence. But if the flame could be brought into existence some other way, it would be permissible. What's the other way? You light the menorah in the kitchen where there's no windows and there's no one around. The menorah is lit. You then move it to the window in front of the house. And now you make your bracha. That's what's called Hanukkah Ose Mitzvah. That means it's the placement of the menorah. It's facilitating the menorah. That's the core of the mitzvah. And the Gemara has this as a question. The Gemara has this as a suffix. And the Gemara goes back and forth. The Minchas Chinuch points out that based on the Rambam that we saw, in the Beis Hamikdash, which of those two options would you say is the defining requirement for the lighting of the menorah. Which one? Which one? Based on the Rambam. Hadlaka osa mitzvah or hanacha osa mitzvah. Which is the hanacha osa mitzvah. Because the Rambam says explicitly, you can do this. Take the thing outside. And the Minchas Chinuch goes crazy. What are you doing? Hanacha osa mitzvah. He has a whole bunch of different questions. There's a special pasuk that tells us we could light the menorah on Shabbos. You wouldn't need to ever do such a thing. You could light it before Shabbos and bring it into the Mikdash on Shabbos. You could avoid that whole problem altogether. But most of all, the Shulchan Aruch writes explicitly in Hilchas Chanukah that we paskin had laka osa mitzvah. And why would there be a dissonance between the original paradigm that is producing this obligation, which is the lighting of the menorah in the Mikdash, where seemingly we pask in Hanacha Osa Mitzvah, that as long as you facilitate its lighting, it's okay. And then when it comes to Hilchas Chanukah, when we're recreating this entire experience in our homes, somehow we, 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 we summon a different standard altogether. And we pask in Hadlaka Osa Mitzvah, this is question number two. Number one, why is it that if the menorah is not exclusive to the Kohanim, that that was the gift to Aaron? And number two, why is it that Hilchas Chanukah is not aligned with its originating context and source and requires Hadlaka Osa Mitzvah, when in the Beis Amikdosh it's clear, Hanacha Osa Mitzvah. And finally, question number three. Question number three comes from the Gemara in Shabbos. The Gemara in Shabbos tells us, Ner Chanukah, source number nine, Ner Chanukah on the right side, Ner Chanukah, mitzvah lahanicha al Pesach Beiso mibachutz. The mitzvah of Ner Chanukah is really to light where? In our window in the living room facing the street? No. What's the original mitzvah? To light where? 
Mi bachutz, outside the home. Actually in the doorway, outside, facing outside the home. The Gemara says, so what if you live in a higher floor? Then you put it on the window against the Rishus Arabim. And then the Gemara says, And if you're living in a time of sakana, of danger, living in a time of danger, Then you just place it on the table in the home, and that is enough. And the Rishonim have a big debate. What is the nature of what this Sakana was? Was the Sakana that there was an edict from the surrounding uh, countries that if the Jewish people lit candles outside of a house of worship of Christian orientation, that that's the problem that they would be punished? Was the edict that they're not allowed to light candles at all? What exactly was the problem? But all of the Rishonim agree that there was a period of Jewish history where lighting outside was dangerous. It was a sakana. So they moved the Hanukkah experience indoors. They moved the Hanukkah experience indoors. And then there's a great debate amongst the Rishonim what to do when the circumstances change and there is no longer a sakana, right? In Teaneck, New Jersey, right? Unfortunately, in the United States of America, there is more anti-Semitism than there was. This is true. But in Teaneck, New Jersey, in Passaic, New Jersey, very hard to argue that lighting some candles outside your house is a sakana, that someone's going to come and do something to you. Wait, we can't light outside. It's a sakana. It's a sakana. Uh And and building an eyesore non-zoned hut on your driveway for 10 days, right? Which usually gets in our house, gets taken around around now, Thanksgiving time, right? We're very machmer, right? That, that's, 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 that's okay. Nobody cares. Walk in the streets with your giant cases that look like uh, gun cases that hold the, the Lula of an Esrid, that in these black, you know what I'm saying? Like no, nobody, nobody's worried about that. That's not a problem. You know, join it. There's no Sakana. Oh, there's just Hanukkah candles and Sakana. So there's a big machlokis, what to do when the sakana lifts. So some Rishonim held that if there's no sakana, in a chanami. This was all circumstantial. And once there's no sakana, you light outside. But there were many poskim that felt that no, that the, the introduction of sakana actually changed the nature of the mitzvah itself. That Chazal permanently moved it indoors. They were reacting to a circumstance, but the shift was more fundamental. And the Dvar Yoshua, famous tshuva, who feels this way, even in Eretz Yisrael. Today in Eretz Yisrael, most people light outdoors. They light outdoors because the whole tone of Eretz Yisrael is antithetical to this notion that we live besakana. We're worried about what other people are going to do. You're worried about what other people are going to do in Yushalay Mirakodesh, in B'nai Brak, in, in, in Harnof, in Efrat, in, in Modi'in, you're worried about what other people are going to do. What are, you, what are you worried about what other people are going to do? We're in Israel. We're, we're, we're the new Jews. We have, we have a government. We have an army. We're not, we're not living in Pnei Sakana. So most people light outside. But there are individuals that even in Eretz Yisrael continue to light inside. There was a big debate and a lot of discussion. The Dvar Yoshua was of the opinion that, in fact, we should continue to light inside. Because at the end of the day, they shifted this halacha. And that brings us to question number three. Question number three is, why in the world, why in the world would anybody think that we should maintain this posture of fear and trepidation 
and compromise on the integrity of the Neros Hanukkah and retreat them indoors, when in reality the Sakana has dissipated entirely. What, what's even the, the rationale for such a thing? Why would we even imagine that Chazal would construct the nature of the Takana in such a way? Why in the world would they do that? There's a Sakana, you deal with it. There's no Sakana, you don't deal with it, right? No one, there's a lot of discussion in, in the last two years. How do we deal with Sakana? And how do we deal with Shul? But nobody believes that Be'ezes Hashem Yisbarach, the day should come where this, this virus is gone entirely. Nobody believes that the adjustments that we made in order to be able to deal with the Sakana are now fundamental core paradigmatic shifts in the nature of Tvila B'Tzibur that Me'atovi Adolam should be the way they are, except, of course, for Piyutim, right? That, for some reason, is going to be uh, most probably uh, immortalized as a legacy of this, right? But short of that, short of making Yom Noram davening longer, right? Everybody knows we're doing certain things, Mipnea Sakana. The Sakana is gone, so is the adjustment. So is the compromise. Why in the world would we remain steadfast in immortalizing this, this compromise in the whole nature of Nero's Hanukkah? These are our three questions. Why is Hanukkah unique to our own? Why do we paskin hadlaka osa mitzvah when in the Beis Amigdash they paskin hanacha osa mitzvah? And why in the world do we continue in the United States of America, where we have freedom of religion to practice how we wish, to continue to light our Neros Hanukkah inside, when in fact there is no longer a Sakana to be concerned about? So, we're going to approach this question with one, these three questions with one basic answer. And that is to understand the true nature of what distinguishes Hanukkah as a holiday from all other holidays that we celebrate in the Jewish calendar. The Gemara tells us in source number 11 of a machlokis between Beishamai and Beis Hillel. What's the machlokis? We know the baseline of the mitzvah is Neri Shu Okay. Mahadrin, you want to be Mahadrin? Ner Lechalechod A candle for each and every member of the household. Mahadrin, Mina Mahadrin. You want like six Ashkachis and like, you know, serious Mahadrin, Mina Mahadrin. So the Gemara says it's a machlokis. Machlokis in Beishamai and Beis Hillel. Beishamai says, Poches First night of Hanukkah, you light eight candles and you diminish each night till you're left with one. Pes Hillel writes, no, Moses Vaholich. You start with the small and you ascend in lighting the menorah. First night one, second night two. Hanukkah for Beis Shammai would look very different. Instead of all of this fanfare and excitement and decorations and we invited everybody over and we cooked lakas, we got the dreidels going and the Hanukkah gelt and everything's together and we're so excited, we're so, everything's so intense. Instead of then leading the way it does in our homes to this one little pizza candle, it's kind of anticlimactic, right? And then there's like this one little, uh, tiny little, looks like a yurt site. It's like nothing. It's, it's, it's like, Tiny little candle. And then everybody comes in with the guitars. Mo, sword, and then the thing goes out. You have to light it again, right? 
So that's Hanukkah for Beis Hillel. For Beis Shama, you know what it was like? Beshamai, the first night of Hanukkah, we light the entire menorah, eight lights radiating and illuminating the power of, of Parsume Nisa in all of our homes, right? We, we start small and we build. It's not till the end of Hanukkah that we get to see the menorah in all its glory, right? By the end of Hanukkah, when you see the full menorah, you know how sick you are of Maus Tzur, Right? Every guy that gets up to Dab and Shachris is in Musaf and Mincha, Mo's Sur, Mo's Sur, more Mo's Sur. By the end of Hanukkah, Asher Yotzer and Mo's Sur. You're like going out of your mind. And finally, we have to sing this again. And we get all eight nights, all eight lights. It's, it's not the same. So, what is the understanding of this Machlokas? So, it's fascinating. Because if I were to ask any of us intuitively, which approach should we choose? Beishamai or Beishilo? So we would say, hello. that's what we're used to. You know, it's a very nice concept. The Maharal explains it in source number 12. You start small in life. You start small. You want to accomplish something? You start small and you grow and you build. You start a shul in a basement. It grows into a house. It grows into a storefront. It grows into a, a building. It grows into a bigger building. That's how everything goes in life. That's the Teva HaOlam. Mosif HaOlech. Things start small and they expand and they grow and they elevate. And that's what's intuitive to us. To start with everything? Where do you ever have starting with everything? But the truth is that Beishamai's orientation is actually more consistent with what we do throughout the year. Because let's think about it for a moment. Let's look at the three regalim, right? All three regalim, Beisach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. How do we approach those three regalim? As Mosif for Holech or Poches for Holech? Pesach. The first night of Pesach. All the questions, we're throwing frogs at each other, unleashing plagues, everybody's into it. There's like countless amounts of, of, of engagement. There's, it's unbelievable. And then what happens after the Seder? What's the rest of Pesach? Six flags. That's it. There's nothing else to do. You want to eat matzah, you eat matzah, you don't eat matzah, you don't eat matzah, matzah and cream cheese, you're done. It's the first night you start with everything. And then things dissipate over time. And on Sukkot, the first day of Sukkot, the real mitzvah of Dalit Minim is the first day of Sukkot. The first night of Sukkot, we're required to eat. We have to stay in the Sukkah even if it rains. We're required to engage the Sukkah. After the first night, the Gemara says, You want to go into the Sukkah? You can go into the Sukkah. You don't want to go into the Sukkah? You don't have to go into the Sukkah. You're going to eat a meal. You're going to need to be in the Sukkah. Okay. Shavuos, Shavuos, the first night of Shavuos, we're up all night learning. We're eating six kinds of cheesecake. We're eating, and what's the rest of Shavuos? Everybody's unconscious, and we read Megillus Rus. That's it. There's nothing there. The Chagim, as we relate to them, all start with Poches Vaholech. All start with something grandiose that dissipates over time. So why is it that the Hanukkah model is the inverse? And the reason is because there's a fundamental distinction between what these Chagim are trying to accomplish and what Hanukkah is trying to accomplish. The Chagim are all examples of a Kaddish Baruch Hu initiating a miracle and us reacting to the experiences of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. God takes us out of Egypt, we react. God gives us a Torah, we react. God takes care of us in the desert, we react. 
all of the Rigalim are examples of the Jewish people reacting to the initiative of the Rabon Chanukah is the opposite. Chanukah is the story of HaKadosh Baruch Hu reacting to the initiative of the Jewish people. Chanukah is the story of the Jewish people, Rabim Biyan Me'atim, the Jewish people transcending all arts and with courage and tenacity confronting their enemies. And then the Gemara says, walking into this totally destroyed Mikdash, where halachically they could have taken advantage of the principle they were own sin. They didn't have to do this. But says the Gemara, Badku, they searched and they strived and they reached. It's the initiative of Am Yisrael that ultimately created the reality that then HaKadosh Baruch Hu responded to with a miracle. The miracle of Hanukkah was precipitated not by God. The catalyst of that miracle was us. We didn't have to do that. It wasn't that they walked into the base of Megdash and there was a miraculously lit menorah. They walked into the base of Megdash and there was nothing. And they would have been completely in the right to walk right out. But they walked into the base of Megdash, they saw nothing. And what was their reaction? Initiative. To be proactive. To take control. To not be defined by the circumstances of the moment. But rather to redefine the reality based on what their aspirations were. Hanukkah is about HaKadosh Baruch Hu responding to our initiative, to what we're trying to contribute, to what we're trying to accomplish. And in fact, here's the most amazing thing. If you look at the Rambam, the Rambam tells the story of Hanukkah that on the 25th day of Kislev, they walked into the Beis Amigdash, they cleaned out the whole Beis Amigdash, and then they lit the menorah. So the Prichadash asks a very simple question. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Hold on. What do you mean they cleaned out the Mikdash on the 25th and then they lit the menorah? The next time you'd light the menorah, if you clean it out on the 25th, is that night. That night is not the 25th. That night is the 26th. So why doesn't Hanukkah begin on the 26th, according to the Rambam? Forget seven days, eight days. Forget that question. Right? That question he also sick of by the end of Hanukkah. Right? It's eight days. But why doesn't the eight days start on the 26th? Why start on the 25th? And the Prichadash has an approach, but now we understand. Because the celebration of Hanukkah is not just about what God did. What God did didn't start to the 26th. The celebration of Hanukkah and the commemoration of the miracle is ultimately surrounding the initiative of the Jewish people. It's as much about what we did as it is about what HaKadosh Baruch Hu reacted with. And so therefore, Hanukkah begins on the 25th. There was no miracle on the 25th. You know what the miracle was on the 25th? The miracle was on the 25th that the Jewish people looked at their landscape and said to themselves, we are not going to allow this reality to take hold of ourselves and we will shape the future of our destiny and we will decide and determine what the Mikdash is going to look like. So it's a Chag of initiative. And now we understand why Aaron Cohen is so much a part of this Chag. Because Aaron Cohen's approach to leadership was fundamentally different than Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was a top-down leader. Moshe Rabbeinu had been to Shammai. Moshe Rabbeinu, the way you know he wasn't part of the Hevra, is he didn't eat and drink 
for weeks and weeks. I, I mean, mamish, nothing. No kiddish, no nothing. Moshe Rabbeinu, when they came, comes down from Sinai, they can't even look at his face. Moshe Rabbeinu has trouble even relating to the faults and the and 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 the gaps of character and and uh, and Yerushalayim of the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu is essential, critical, fundamental, and core to what Am Yisrael is about. But the leadership dynamic is top down. What's Aaron? Aaron, the Mishnah tells us, it's an Oev Shalom, a Rodev Shalom, an Oev Esabrios, Mekarvin LeTorah. The Rambam in his Parish Mishnayis quotes from the Avost Rabbi Nassan. Aaron would go up to people who he knew to be sinners, chotim, people who were compromising in their standards of Yadus. And he would speak to them. He would schmooze with them. He would talk with them. He wouldn't freak out. Oh my gosh, we're going to validate. We're going to this. We're going to, no, no, no. You're a Jew. You're a Tzalem Elohim. You're a person. You have a neshama. I'm going to have a conversation with you. And says the Rambam that when this indiv- these individuals would walk away from the conversation, they would be infused with a sense of confidence and esteem. Oh my gosh, Aaron considers me worthy of his engagement, worthy of his communication, worthy of his time and attention. How could I possibly continue to lead the moral, morally compromised life that I'm leading when somebody of such stature believes in me? That's what the Avast Rabbi Nelson says. Aaron's leadership was bottom up. Aaron was all about not dominating, controlling, and commanding. Aaron was all about empowering. Aaron was about helping people realize that they have the capacity within themselves, independent of all the pressure, that within themselves is the ability to move forward and to do the right thing. Aaron was about cultivating and nurturing and a religious identity that is driven by initiative, that is not just responding and reacting to external expectations, but ultimately as a core sense of desire and reach to do the right thing. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Aaron, you are going to be what this is all about. The menorah is all about bringing the mikdash to the people, bringing the menorah to Am Yisrael. That's what Aaron's about. So yes, because you know what Aaron was so worried about when he wasn't given a role in the, in the Hanukkah Sabayas? What Aaron was really worried about is that becoming the Kohen Gadol of the Mishkan meant that he had to shift his whole approach from being bottom up to top down. Now you're the Kohen Gadol. Now you're the Gadol Ador. Now you're the guy in charge of the Ketores. Now that you're guy going into the, the Kodesh Akdashim, you can't schmooze with a Jew. You can't talk to some guy at a Kiddush. You can't talk to some sinner and make them feel like a somebody. Now you're mamish, you're, you're the greatest of the great. You're unreachable. That's why Aaron was upset. He wanted to be part of the people. And the Kaddish Baruch Hu responds to Aaron, you are part of the people. That's what the menorah is about. The menorah is about putting the initiative in the hands of Am Yisrael. It's going to be from a different perspective. You're going to be anchored in a different space. But that does not mean that what it means to have a mikdash is that you control and dominate everyone around you. It means you use the spiritual energy of that space to inspire, 
others to take initiative to do the right thing. And that's why in the Mikdash, we may pask in Hanacha Osa Mitzvah, because in the Mikdash, we encounter the presence of a Kaddish Baruch And so therefore, in the Mikdash, Hanacha Osa Mitzvah, we react to that presence. But in the Hanukkah world, it's Hadlaka Osa Mitzvah. It becomes all about our initiative because it's about Badku. It's about what we did to precipitate this transformative event in Jewish history. And perhaps that also answers our third question because the Bach raises a very simple point about this whole world of moving the menorah inside and outside. And says the Bach, you're looking at the whole thing wrong. You think that it's significant that they move the menorah from outside to inside. I have a better question. If there's really a sakana, you tell me. If there's really a sakana, a real sakana, you start playing around, right? Yeah, this we won't do it outside. We'll do it inside. We'll hope they don't see. We'll hope they, nah. We won't be as careful. We'll be a little careful. If it's a real sakana, it's a real sakana. What do you do? You cancel. That's what you do. You close Hanukkah. That's what you do when there's a sakana. So why, says the Bach, did they bring the whole thing in all together? So the Bach explains that the, the majesty of that moment was not in the compromising element of bringing it into the Lifnim. It's in the fact that they took the initiative to do it Lifnim altogether. It's the fact that despite they faced the fact that despite they faced so many challenges, they still managed to summon the courage to be able to do what they felt they needed to do under difficult circumstances. And so therefore, this mitzvah of madlikin bifnim, the fact that we continue to light inside, is not commemorating the move from outside to inside. It's commemorating the move from nothing to initiative, from nothing to lighting altogether. And the notion that we do not, great, it's a sakana. We won't do it outside because we won't even last to the second night of Hanukkah. But you're going to tell us you're going to take our Hanukkah like you took our Beis Amigdash, like you took our culture, like you took our society, like you took our children, like you took the, the what it meant to be a Jew, like you took our identity? Absolutely not. To be a Hanukkah Jew means that you light mibifnim, that you light no matter what, that you light even under fire, and even under, and that's why we light bifnim. We light bifnim not because we're remembering the Jews cowering in their in their homes. We light bifnim because we remember the courage of being able to do so moving forward. And it's fascinating because, in the context of the current state of Israel, we know that the symbol they had a whole competition. What should be the symbol, the seal of the state of Israel? And there were many different uh, proposals that were made, and ultimately they chose the image of a menorah. But they didn't just choose the image of a menorah. They chose the image of a menorah. If you look at source number 18, that comes right off of what image? Where is this menorah from? The menorah on the left, where is it from? It's from the Arch of Titus. What a ridiculous source for a, for a menorah, the Arch of Titus. The Arch of Titus represents defeat. The Arch of Titus represents conquest. The Arch of Titus represents the Jewish people going into Gullus. What's the answer? The answer is not with the evolution of the state of Israel, but the evolution of the state of Israel, the menorah of the Arch of Titus represents a nation who strived to 
conquer and to eliminate the Jewish people, but was unsuccessful. Because where are the Romans? And where is Titus? They're in a museum. And where are the Jewish people? We're establishing a state. We're establishing a country. We're establishing who we are. Hadlaka osa mitzvah. When we come to the Chag of Hanukkah in our generation, we have to remember that very often we live in a very consumer-driven world, right? That's why it's so hard for us now that lo aleinu, we can't get all of the products we want in the time frame that we would like them. And this is a supply chain disaster because I want this car and I can't get that car. And it's, it's becoming a very, very serious problem. Why? Because we, we live in a society where the expectation is that things we want to consume are going to be provided. We don't expect them for free. We expect to pay for them, but we certainly don't expect not to have them. What do you mean that we have to walk on to the, if you would tell this to people who, who lived in Jewish communities 150 years ago, they would think you are out of your mind. You're at, you understand this supply chain problem. You walk into the store and there's only seven brands of ketchup and there's a massive hole on the shelf where the other eight brands are missing. And it's mamish a crisis. They're sitting off the port of Los Angeles. This is, we live in a very consumer oriented and sometimes, sometimes that spreads to our spiritual orientation as well. We expect to be inspired. We expect to be uplifted. We expect to walk into a shul or a school or an environment or a shear, and we expect that somebody is going to give us something that we can spiritually consume. And the truth is, that's what the regalim are about. You walk into a zone that is thematically driven, that is ritually saturated, and you just, you sit back and you just take it all in. You enjoy Pesach, you enjoy Sukkot, you enjoy Shavuos, you take it all in. That's not Hanukkah. Hanukkah is about activating a totally different dimension of our spiritual selves. Hanukkah is about the notion that sometimes we can't just be spiritual consumers, we have to be spiritual producers. We have to not just leave it up to the shul and to the rabbi and to the chazin and to the school and to Eitan Katz and to all the different, you know, sources of inspiration and the musicians to inspire us and uplift us. Hanukkah is about hadlaka usa mitzvah. Sometimes we have to take responsibility to light the fire ourselves. That we have to recognize that our personal initiative is sometimes what's missing. And when we do, the miracle of Hanukkah is that even when we take a very small step forward, one little candle, one little candle in an environment that is so hostile to the ability for that spirituality to percolate and develop and grow and consume us, when we take one little step, so often a Kodesh Baruch Hu will reciprocate and miraculously expand that limited reservoir of spiritual energy into an infinite source of transformative opportunity. Sometimes all that's being waited for is for us to step up. To bring the menorah out of the mikdash and to light it ourselves. To hadlaka osa mitzvah. To light even when it's hard and even when it's dark and even when it's frustrating and even when we're upset. But to find the courage and to find 
the opportunity to be able to move ourselves forward. Everyone should have a Freilich and Hanukkah, an amazing day.